without the masks we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad to see that you, uh, you all came out here in this uh, weather so hot. We should let people know there's air conditioning in here. Um, but, uh, you know, people have always told me all my life that I was hot, and I never believed them until now. Uh, so. <laughs> Too bad we didn't have a drama. Yeah, okay. Hey, uh, I think a lot of you know that this all summer we're having um, interim uh, music leaders, I guess we call them. We've got to come up with a better name. But this week we're so lucky to have uh, Green and Michael with us leading music. Yeah, sounded so good. And then they're going to be back with us next week, too. So make sure you come back with that. And. Uh, as always, holding it, holding things down. We have uh, oh, Jonah, Mike, yeah. Right here. yeah. Uh, and we are very lucky to have as our special guest artist, Twyla's gonna sing songs for us. So, it's, uh, I feel like I don't, maybe don't even need to preach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, you might say something different after the sermon. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, I don't know if you guys have all heard about June 9th. It's going to be fantastic. It's music, art in the neighborhood, outside. We're getting outside. Neighbors are getting outside. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have music. We're going to have art. And we, the youngsters are going to be, uh, I guess, what, manning a uh, tie-dye table. And so we're asking for uh, shirts that we could use to tie-dye. If you brought any today, because you read the newsletter, um, there's a uh, bin back there. You could put them in or bring them next week or the week after that. Also, uh, you might have read about what we're doing with the youngster this summer. Uh, it's going to be, uh, the lesson are going to be on fruits of the spirit. And we're asking for... Uh, Volunteers who've taught or never taught before, doesn't take much skill. Um, they're pretty smart. Um, so uh, you could sign up for that in the back or get more information. When is, when is the tie dye? Oh, that's June 9th. July. July 9th. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was checking. All right. You passed. All right. Yeah, good. All right. Good. Um, speaking. No, I don't know what I was going to say after that. Uh, I think that's uh, all we got here now, except, of course, Debbie is not here, and uh, she is uh, visiting her family, so that's nice. Um, but I know if she was here, she would want to say that this is the House of Mercy, and welcome to
Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I look over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. If you get there before I do, coming for to carry me home. Tell all my friends I'm coming there too. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me gonna trouble the water who's that friend all dressed in red god's gonna trouble the water must be the children that moses led god's gonna trouble the water away oh, in the water wait in the water children wait in the water god's gonna trouble the water who's that friend all dressed in white god's gonna trouble the water must be the bend of the israelites God's gonna trouble the water away oh, in the water Wait in the water children wait in the water God's gonna trouble the water The reading for tonight comes from the first chapter of Galatians, verses 1 through 12. From Paul, whose call to be an apostle did not come from human beings or by human means, but from Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from death. All the believers who are here join me in sending greetings to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
In order to set us free from this present evil age, Christ gave himself for our sins, in obedience to the will of God, of our God and Father. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am surprised at you. In no time at all, you are deserting the one who called you, who called you by the grace of Christ and are accepting another gospel. Actually, there is no other gospel, but I say this because there are some people who are upsetting you and trying to change the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is different from the one we preach to you, may he be condemned to hell. We've said it before, and I now say it again. If anyone preaches to you a gospel that is different from the one you accepted, may he be condemned to hell. Does this sound as if I am trying to win human approval? No, indeed. What I want is God's approval. Am I trying to be popular with people? If I were trying to do so, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let me tell you, my friends, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any human being, nor did any teach it to me. It was Jesus Christ himself who revealed it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, we firmly believe Donald Trump is the current and true president of the United States, that he is your one and only true leader of your country and your church. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. That wasn't a prayer. I mean, it, 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 it is a prayer, but um, it's not my prayer, obviously, of course, you know, that, and, and I didn't just pray that prayer, I was, uh, I was just quoting. I mean, you could tell I didn't pray it because I had my eyes open the whole time. And uh, you can only pray with your eyes open on TV. That's the only time that it works. Uh, in real life, if your eyes aren't closed, uh, when you pray, it just doesn't work. Now, I was quoting a prayer by an evangelical pastor from Michigan. And it's not original to him. Uh, there's similar prayers are being offered in Sunday services and political rallies all over the country. And I believe it won't be long before this becomes sort of the Christian nationalist equivalent to, of the land acknowledgement. You know, more and more you'd be hearing at the beginning of sporting events, more and more now you'll hear at the beginning of sporting events or community meetings and church services, um, an acknowledgement that the land we are on, that we are gathered on, is the traditional and unceded land of native tribe, whatever here, it's the Dakota people. But it seems like this other thing is coming up now. At the beginning of these rallies, I don't think it's very far off before Christian nationalists in their Sunday services and at their campaign rallies and at NASCAR events start with the acknowledgement that Donald Trump is the one true president and he is the only one chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it'll be just like one more thing that divides everybody, you know, lets everybody know which side you're on. Like when somebody puts up an American flag and it's not Flag Day, you know, or, uh, or you put a Black Lives Matter sign in your yard. Well, I mean, it's not like that because the two things are not equivalent, really, because land acknowledgement is an acknowledgement of a long ignored truth, 
and that Trump is our true president and the one and only servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and all his compadres, well, that's a lie. And it's blasphemy and it's treason. I know I'm coming out of the gate a little strong here, but uh, let me just correct a few things. When I say Christian nationalists, I want it to be clear what I mean by that is conservative American Christians, evangelical Christians. And when I say that you might hear Trump, this Trump treasonous misstatement before church services and political rallies and NASCAR races, well, I just want to apologize to NASCAR. I don't know, because I don't know anything about it, and probably there's probably a, a very open organization. I'm not very political, I don't know. But what I'm trying to get at here, well, let me leave that for a minute. How is this, can you hear me? Okay, yeah, no, can you really hear me? I want you to hear this. Uh, so last week, Debbie preached on an epistle, a letter. You know, the section of a bunch of short little books at the end of the Bible. That's the epistles. There's 21 of them, nine written by Paul, 12 written by not Paul. Uh, Romans uh, is uh, one, you know, second, first and second Corinthians, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second uh, Thelonalikans. No, oh, I made that one up. Um, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, first, second, third John, and Jude. Last week, Debbie preached on Romans. And she mentioned that we almost never preach on the epistles. You know, because every week in the lectionary, there is an Old Testament reading that's assigned and a New Testament reading and a psalm and an epistle. We never preach on the epistle because, well, the epistles are very preachy. They really are. It's a, it's a lot of telling people that they're bad and what they're doing that makes them bad, and what they should be doing that they're not doing, and uh, yeah, just more and more of that. It's not, they're not, um, how would I say, mercy forward, the epistles aren't. No, uh, no radical mercy, just like radical judgy, maybe. Um, I know they're in the Bible, right? So of course we gotta, you know, all books in the Bible carry same equal weight. Well, I don't know, probably not. Um, hey, we're not the only ones to avoid the epistles like that. We're not the only ones that have some critique of the epistles. Karl Barth had serious questions about some of the epistles. Martin Luther, very serious questions about some of the epistles. And James, everybody hates James. Nobody likes that epistle. And I'm sure James would probably tell you that it's not a very Christian attitude to hate him. And that's why you're bad. But you know who preaches on the epistles a lot? Conservative evangelical Christians. The new Christian nationalists. That's what I like to call them, the new Christian nationalists. Because evangelical is a word that Luther made popular. It's a good word. It's about telling everyone the good news, the gospel, the new commandment that Jesus loves you. God loves you and is reconciling you. you know, Nadia Boltz Weber, in her first book, 
Salvation on the Small Screen, 24 Hours of Christian Television, wrote about watching Christian television for 24 hours. And she says that every single Bible verse mentioned, quoted, referred to, every single one in that 24 hours, were all from the epistles. Not one gospel, not even a little Ten Commandments in there, nothing. All the epistles. But last week, Debbie preached on Romans 5. And it was beautiful, brilliant. I mean, if you weren't there, you should listen to it. It's not up yet, but it's going to be. Listen to the podcast. It, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, I mean, if Debbie's going to do it, like, how am I going to let her preach on an epistle and then do it so well and just me follow up with another verse from Luke or John about love and healing and stuff? I got to at least try. But really, I'm not just preaching on the epistle to show you that I'm almost as good as Debbie. You know, I'm even foolish that I brought up the comparison. When Debbie was preaching on the epistle last week in a way that it was so artful and faithful, and she wrestled the good news out of that text, I felt, I felt challenged, to use a word from the lexicon of my people, the people formerly known as the evangelical Christians. Yes, I felt challenged. I felt convicted in my heart. I felt moved by the Spirit to preach on an epistle. So the epistle for this Sunday, the second Sunday after Pentecost, is from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. This letter is believed to be one of the oldest books in the Bible, one of the earliest ones written. It was written like 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus the Redeemer. Paul's writing to a church that he started in Galatia. I think that's in Greece. And in keeping with the epistle vibe, he's writing to tell them that they're bad. To tell them that they're bad and to tell them all the things they're doing that make them bad. Or to warn them not to do this particular thing. Or he'll curse them. Scholars refer to this epistle as the Christian Manifesto of Freedom. The trouble in Galatia is this. Paul went to proclaim, he went and proclaimed the good news the, the radical mercy of God, the love of Jesus, the Jesus loves you all and is reconciling and redeeming you freely. He's, the, Jesus has freed you no matter what you've done or what you're going to do. But then Paul leaves. And some other apostles roll through. Maybe they were pretenders, people don't know for sure. Maybe it was even Peter, some people think. And these other uh, apostles that roll through they tell the people in the church at Galatia that in order to be a true follower of Jesus, the mercy, you first have to be a practicing Jew. That means circumcision for those that need it. 
uh, strict adherence and obedience to the Ten Commandments and all the 632 Mosaic laws found in the Torah. You have to observe the temple rituals, which include sacrifices and monetary gifts. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians, telling them that any gospel that goes beyond the proclamation that Jesus is God incarnate, love incarnate, who came to proclaim the new commandment, that God is love and the radical mercy, with that radical mercy, that divine love in action, that all are loved, forgiven, redeemed. If you go beyond that, Paul says, then that's a different gospel. That's the other gospel. That's a false gospel. The text says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to that which we proclaim to you, um, then let that one be cursed. And then he says, for good measure, as we have said before, I now repeat, anyone who proclaims you a gospel contrary to what has been revealed to you, then let that one be accursed. Now, I don't really know the nature of the curse or how being accursed fits in with the radical mercy, the love in action, the ongoing reconciliation, no matter what you do, say, or think. But I guess it's just kind of the nature of the epistle. Because Paul, you know, I mean, he is like the first theologian of the Christian faith, but dude clearly has a temper, and he gets set off pretty easily. Paul's not cursing anyone's Jewish faith. He'll tell you he's the most faithful Jew of all Jews. Paul is warning the church against those who would preach dedication to religious and governmental powers that oppress the people, that manipulate the people, that imprison the people with systems that overburden, deny, use up, and lock up the people all while counting their money and power. Does that sound familiar? 20 years from when God's love was resurrected, the radical mercy incarnate, freeing everyone from the powers and principalities of the world, just 20 years and already those powers and principalities are reasserting themselves in the guise of the Christian faith. Throughout the history of Christianity, we see this occur over and over again. In what was it, 326, when the Roman Emperor Constantine proclaims that he has seen a vision of the cross of Christ and proclaims that the Roman Empire is now Christ's empire. The Roman Empire Constantine carried the cross, the symbol of freedom, forgiveness, mercy. He carried the cross before him in battle, saying that the power of Jesus enabled him to kill his enemies. He used the cross of Christ to solidify his power. 
you can see why Paul got mad. It's hard not to get angry. It's hard for me not to be angry. I mean, I'm just recently, the things I just hear recently, the things, I'm just beginning to get in touch with that anger. I'm just beginning to own that anger and to feel that anger. When I see what my own people have done with my faith, how they've perverted it, how they've twisted it into, twisted into the very thing that Jesus came to free us from. I mean, they've taken the faith, these American Christian nationalists, they've taken the evangelical faith that I was raised in and nurtured in, and they've ripped out the heart of its good news and replaced it with this gospel of hate, proclaimed by a false messiah, a moldering orange cretin with an insatiable appetite for malevolence and destruction. We have seen the American evangelical church, which truthfully has been heading in this direction for a long time, for decades. We've seen them reach now the tipping point where it has completely abandoned the gospel of mercy acceptance, inclusion, and reconciling love. And they've replaced it with a hate lived out in racism, misogyny, and every kind of vileness imaginable. They've actively worked against the tenets of the gospel. The tenets of the gospel of inclusion, acceptance, and love. They're not only preaching hate, they're behind legislating hate. And guess what? It seems like it's working. Since the pandemic and the quarantine, churches across denominational and demographic affiliations are not recovering. An average of about 50% of the people who gathered in American churches before the quarantine have not returned. There is, however, one group whose churches are growing. The extreme Christian nationalist churches. Are you familiar with the term patriot pastors? The patriot pastors churches are growing rapidly. The churches who proclaim in their prayers that Donald Trump is the one true president of the United States and God's one true leader. And the more these patriot pastors vilify doctors, vilify science, speak out against vaccine, uh, speak out against the civil rights and intellectual rights and human rights, the more despicable their rhetoric and vitriol, the bigger their churches get. Here's some science for you. Hate grows churches. Hate grows churches. Statistically, verifiably, hate grows churches. If you hate queer Americans, if you hate black Americans, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, disabled Americans, poor Americans, people who aren't Americans, well, that's church growth. I mean, it makes me stop and wonder, do you think we could get our 50% back by hating them every week? 
I mean, no, really. I mean, maybe we could, you know, we could preach from the epistles every week. We could preach from the epistles every week, and uh, we could preach every week. We could point out, with Paul having our back, that these Christian naturalists are sinful, despicable worshipers of Satan's rotting servant. I think that just might be something people show up for. It's good for fundraising, too. Hate, really good for fundraising. I mean, and we'd be right, right? But you're probably ahead of me on this. We'd have to give up the whole Jesus thing, the love part, which is all the parts. We'd have to give up the radical mercy We might be able to beat them at their own game or beat them with their own game. But we are called away from the game. We don't play the game. We are called to step out of it. We are delivered from it. We are called to love those Trump worshiping, racist, misogynist, homophobic, anti-intellectual fellow Americans. I think it's time we really get serious about figuring out how we're going to do it. Sunday at 5. Check houseofmercy.org for all the details. 
House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. <laughs>